0: Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Gwen. Welcome to this episode of Farmworker Chronicles. On this episode, we are sharing the story of Juan Becerra, a 77-year-old Ohioan. Juan's family has a deep history of farm work and he grew up doing farm work alongside his family. He also grew up in poverty and without a lot of stability and always wanted better for his family. He achieved this by joining the Army, where he was able to find a sense of stability in his own life and support his family in Ohio.
1: My grandfather and his people, Becerra, were all farmers in Leon, Guanajuato, Mexico, up in the hills. My grandfather came over to this site, to the US of A, during the Revolutionary Civil War in Mexico. In 1916, he crossed the border with my grandfather and grandmother. They had that business in San Antonio, a filling station, gas station, and he rented houses. So, my grandfather, grandma, although he didn't read or write English or Spanish, he could count money, and he knew how to manage a business.
2: Prior to Juan's paternal grandfather becoming a businessman and running a filling station in San Antonio, Texas, he was a farm worker. Juan's paternal grandfather, after arriving at the end of the Mexican Revolution, ended up in Wichita Falls, Texas. Juan's father would later be born in Wichita Falls, Texas, and be brought up in farm work as well as his siblings. Eventually, they ended up migrating seasonally to Sugar Beet Country, North Dakota.
1: When when my father's family came uh, to that region, they came to that region to um, pick up farm workers to take back up to North Dakota. Because in North Dakota, my father and his father and his brothers were, um, there's three other brothers besides my father they were um working in the farm farm work and um my father was a driver they owned their own trucks and they were transporting sugar beet harvest the sugar beets and they ended up going to that um that region 45 miles away from the Mexican border and that area was um known for a lot of agricultural work produce so my father noticed that there was a one of the farm workers picking. where they were working in the field, noticed my mother, and then of course he was uh, wanting to get to know her. And according to my mother, she had already had someone that she would marry before my father. But it was in 1943, and in 43, the the um, Individual that my mother would have married went off to war. He volunteered or was drafted. These are all Mexican Americans. My father was a Mexican American. He had he had citizenship. He was born in Wichita Falls, Texas. And um, so, my father and my mother met and talked and got together. Were a couple and it seems to me from my mother's talks that I had with her before she passed away in year 12, uh, 2012 she uh... they had a quick well they married within three months Um, my brother Jose was uh... born in 44 I was born in 46 they um bought garden farmland in San Antonio and with monies that they had accumulated in
0: North Dakota. Juan's parents got married after a three-month courtship and had two kids in three years. And then their relationship began to fray.
1: At some point, My mother and my father did separate. And when they separated, my father chose to take my older brother with him to North Dakota, Kidnapped. My father and my brother were living in North Dakota for about nine months, approximately nine months or so. So a tornado comes through July the 3rd, 1947, and my father died as a result of it, one of 11 citizens in that area where they were located.
2: The death of his father, Juan's mother remarried, forever altering Juan's family dynamic and life.
1: She met someone else. She had a part-time job. Now they were not living together. In Carrizos Springs, Texas, as a dishwasher. The cook, which would be my stepfather, Juan Hernandez, he, um, of course, befriended her, and they got together as a couple, and they stuck together as a couple. And that's the only father model I've had, him, from the time I was a year and a half. My stepfather, he drank beer he liked his beer and he continued to drink his drinking got worse he drank more consistently he had to go chase that beer he was okay like a friend as long as he had his drink on he was also a go-getter he started to make sandwiches to sell to the packing companies in the area and i as a kid i remember seeing the bedspread with so many quarters because they were getting a quarter of a sandwich or something like that, they he make them quick up for the workers, and so he would take those monies and go across to Mexico, which is only 45 minutes away, and have a hell of a time. Can I say that hell of a time? Yeah. After <laughs> yeah. the fact, my dad in his beer on one of the bars, he heard that they were gonna be going up north to work in the fields. And They would contract families; they needed families to work in the strawberry and Sherry picking in Michigan. So he got word of that, told my mother, and my ma was pretty much fed up with that meager living. We'll go up there, something we can do. Oh yeah, you, you learn, uh, we'll, we'll do fine. You got, the kids can help and we'll this and that, you see? And so they talked to Erlinda, Erlinda and her husband, the contractor contratista, to bring us up north. I'm sure that he influenced my mother to say, let's leave this place. We left in April, I believe it was April, just before the school ended that year. And how we came up north, we didn't come in a fancy uh, train or, or uh, transport. There was a truck. Call them, the farmers call them grain trucks. This truck's about 15 foot deep about 12 wide, legal, on the road. It was legal. And then it had like four feet um, of uh, wood framing around it and a tarp. And when we were coming up north, there were two families, the Flores family and our family, small families. There were two boys and a girl and one infant had just born. We're coming up north hours and hours. You could hear the wind blowing the canvas, constant. But we made it. Finally, we came up to Meniste, Michigan, to become part of that labor they needed, sherry picking, strawberry picking. My mother had and had then. Her sister, one of her sisters, lived in Swanton, Ohio. She was married to an alfaro, And my cousin, Sofia Quintero Alfaro, was well-known here in Toledo. She was part of that group. At the time, she was just my age almost. I'm two two years older than her. But anyhow, they they were out of Ohio. So when the crops finished up for us in in Michigan, Magdalena said, well, come to Ohio. There's tomatoes, there's other crops. You could make a living there, stay. And that's how we ended up in Ohio. We started in Swanton, Ohio. And we lived in, in a small one-room houses, cabins. Then we moved from there, Swanton, White House. We went to White House, Swanton schools. <clears throat> and we, I went to Lake Township School. Oh, Rossford before that one, Rossford, Ohio. How can it be? It, it happened all within one year. In the summertime when school was out, Ma would say the gain is you're going to be working for some jeans. You want jeans? You want clothes? If you work, I will said, you'll learn that. We we'll had that money set aside, otherwise there won't be enough, right? So we did that, as well as some of the other settled out um, Latinos that I talked to, they would do the same. They're not going off in the summer break to go to the camp, to the camps, to the uh, lakes and all that business.
2: So Juan's story really resonates with me. It just reminds me of the instability my family had and all the moving around we did. The other kids were spending summers relaxing and on vacation. Juan and his peers were working in the fields. At the end of the day, Juan and his family didn't have relaxing accommodations to rest after long days of work either.
1: There's um, the farmer who had limited means, although he had been farming for 10, 12 years. Well, I have a chicken coop. Well, you could stay there, the growing season, until I raise my crops. Then you can move on, and if you want, but tell me you're going to stay. Yeah, I got four kids and their mother; they can work, and I'll, we work. We'll work. Place to stay. There's a chicken coop, which is eight foot high, about fifty foot long, sixty foot long. The chickens are not there, but they left their their uh, yeah feathers, their
0: uh, dander. So, it's so, so, so bad. So, while it's pretty wild that Juan and his family lived in a chicken coop while doing farm work, they did find less rugged housing next.
1: We were living in a caboose. And then in Rusford, one room cabinet, one of the two cabinets, cabinet, cabins, is still there on... Roaston Road, off of Roaston Road, just the other side of some tracks. My stepfather got a job at the Holiday Inn as a salad man, this and that, temporary. His family and he lived in one room. There was a little partition between here and where we slept. And in the front was a little area where my mother cooked and set up a, a roller machine to wash her clothes for us four boys. And guess what? We were clean. She would, that woman, she she earned heaven, I know, because she worked so hard to keep us, yeah, presentable. Oh, my gosh.
0: Juan saw how hard his mom worked for him and his siblings, and he wanted better for his family. He didn't want to continue working in the fields, so he reached out for some assistance. And when he did, he was met with racial bias.
1: So we all go to, to the, the unemployment office, employment, unemployment. We go to apply. Do you know that man who looked, talked to us? Says, hmm, why don't you go and pick tomatoes? The mentality of that man, he was not a Latino, he did not speak Spanish. He was something, a a white man, a Caucasian. I'm Caucasian, he was Caucasian, but come on, is that the only thing we could do? In his mind, you're Mexican, you shouldn't have any problem getting ahead of the line over there to, to get a farm job, work.
2: You can hear how frustrated Juan is after reaching out for support. He was trying to create some stability for himself and his family, and he didn't get the help he expected. So as a high schooler, he went down a path many would not have volunteered to take at the time. In the midst of the Vietnam War, he decided to enlist.
1: When I was 17 years old, no, I was 16, and I made up my mind, this is not right. Now you're in your sophomore year, you're preparing to graduate. But you don't have stability, the steadiness of that income to the head of the household, which is your stepfather. He's not really putting in his energies towards it. So how can you contribute? My attitude, that's right, my attitude determined my altitude. I could go into the U.S. Army. The air force would not take you. The navy would not take you if we're not graduate then, but the army and the marines would. I asked her ma if you sign for me, I will go into the United States Army. I will seek a profession and something I like to do, and I will uh, send money home to help the family. That was the goal that I had for them.
0: Juan went to boot camp, trained as artillery personnel and then was stationed in Hawaii, where he continued to receive more training. During this time, Juan was meeting his goal, sending money back to his family and helping them to create a more stable life. During this time, he took on some non-conventional personal pursuits, like learning Russian and boxing.
1: They had an opening for my line of work, artillery. So I went. I trained. I said, I would like to... Know if I may take classes to get my diploma because I will not graduate with my class because I left in 65. I really would like to take classes because I enjoyed studying and all and learning. And they gave me a battery of test. I passed them. Well, you, you don't have to take the classes. Will you have classes in languages? I would like to learn Russian. I'd like to speak Russian. So I took Russian. I started to learn the language, the Russian language, at 17 in the educational center. Well, soon after I see a posting, the boxing uh, program is advertising for the whole, all the units that want to take volunteers. TDY, temporary duty. Mm -hmm. You have no military uh, job to do other than to train, train, to entertain as a boxer, any and all. I succeeded. I worked hard at that every day, every day. When I went out to compete, I said, geez, this is okay. Of course, it did rearrange my nose a little bit, but, and it was worth it. And the reason I say that is because at the very end of the three months, after all that hard work, I said, well, there's another phase to this, another three months to represent the USARPAC, United States Army Pacific, this region. To represent you in the 112-pound range, flyweight. Okay, I'll do that. Now I go against other competitors from the island and others around the island in my weight, and I and I was I was liking it. Never got knocked out, and uh, I gained a good reputation for that.
2: Juan was proud of his extracurriculars, and it turns out his extracurriculars, especially boxing, would help him with his primary goal of sending money home. Juan shared that he made a name for himself in the boxing league, and that this helped him get a promotion. That promotion and being deployed in Vietnam meant more money for Juan to send home.
1: In the meantime, The promotions come up. Heck, I had just been promoted to a corporal, which meant more money that I could send more money home. And I said, "Okay, okay, I will um, apply for that." But you know what benefited me? My reputation on the post. Everyone knew me. That's a great um, find. And, And they they saw your mind's in the right place, your heart's in the right place. You could be one of us leaders. So they gave me a promotion. The other corporal stripes were not yet weathered. And here comes another. So now I'm, I'm a young 18-year-old buck sergeant, which is an E-5, which is fast mobility. And that helped. So the moral of this story is if your name is out there for something like a rock star name, you're going to get promoted. So I was promoted, and I think that worked for me in one other pursuit, and that was volunteering for shotgun. They call it shotgun duty. They had riders on the passenger side to arm, to have a, a weapon to defend the passengers and crew. And that program started in 1963, so I trained. I trained for that, and I was so fortunate to go in the very last shotgun group, Shotgun 11. So I did go, and yes, I sent money home. That was the goal. Send money home. I kept sending money home. Every time I got paid, 25% would go home. It used to be $20 a month when I first went in. I earned $82 a month when I first went in. At the end, I earned $250 a month, which was good money back then. Then I earned in Vietnam 500 a month, because it was hazardous duty. They paid you extra. I didn't, I didn't know they were going to do that, but they did. Not only did I send money home, I took care of Vietnamese. i go to the village nearby, maybe once a week. I buy big uh, bags of candy, and I'd take like a parade here for the kids because they couldn't afford it. They they look for me to go to that gate once a week. I would do that. I would share, and. I mean, those are positive things. And there's no certainty in that line of work that you're coming home well without either a mind, destroyed mind, or a mind that needs adjustment, or physical wounds. It just so happens that I, I didn't get physical wounds, but I have thoughts. I've had thoughts. And, and it's cost me. And I want to act to make a right. Life is too short. Make good decisions, think good thoughts. We must continue. Don't give up.
0: Juan is proud that he provided for his family by joining the U.S. Army. Overall, Juan's choices have allowed for him to provide for his family and positively impact his community. And he still advocates for farm workers.
1: And farm workers, there's uh, still problems there. This region, or any region, which requires farm worker help, helpers or harvesters, if you will, we must offer as, as uh, citizens, offer them all the benefits that we could reasonably offer so that they could have comfortable settings.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of Farmworker Chronicles. We are your
2: hosts and producers, Gwen and Wendy.
0: And we would like to extend a big thank you to our guest Juan Becerra for kindly agreeing to be interviewed.
2: And our assistant producer is Jared Rosenberg.
0: Our executive producer is Chris Pfeiffer.
2: If you want to join the conversation, go to wgte.org fwc.
0: Until then, I'm Gwen. And I'm
2: Wendy, reminding you to think a farmworker. Bye. Bye.
0: If you or someone you love is experiencing PTSD or suicidal thoughts, please call or text the Suicide and Crisis Hotline at 988. WGTE, voices around us.
2: WGTE is supported in part by American Rescue Plan Act funds allocated by the City of Toledo and the Lucas County Commissioners and administered by the Arts Commission.